Yeah, so I've been trying to listen to what I think God's saying to us in this meeting. And so, therefore, what I, I really felt to do was to kind of change a little bit about what I was going to say. And so, what will happen is this will completely confuse the people on, on the PowerPoint and everything, because I'm not necessarily going to follow my talk. Is that all right? Okay, so the first thing to do is like pray for me because I don't know where I'm going with this yet. I'm just going to attempt to listen while we do it. Is that okay? Right, so you, you like stretch out your hands and pray for me or do something useful. Show me you're alive. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that'll do. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing that I've been hearing. Um, you know, there's times in, in my life where, you know, things have not gone well. You know, I'm being honest with you. I know that's not like, you know, pastors, we're supposed to say everything is perfect all the time and we're amazing thing. You know, everything is amazing. But there's times in my life when stuff hasn't gone well, where I had expectations of things turning out one way and it turned out a different way or didn't turn out at all. And then you, you know, the, 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 those things can go on for quite a while. And there's things that I wanted to happen in my life that haven't happened yet. Oh, I haven't seen yet things that I believe God's promised over my life and I haven't seen them. And so the, the, the question is, you know, when we're talking about this uh, series I've been talking about, Faith Builders, is what do you do when you're in that situation? What do you do when, you, you know, stuff didn't turn out like you expected? What do you do when you haven't seen what you believe God's told you you promised? What do you do when you, you desperately need an answer and yet it hasn't come yet? And, you know, for me, th there's been several times in my life when that, that's happened. And, you know, what you, it's very easy, isn't it, when you, that sort of thing happens to you, you get disappointed. And particularly, you know, in, in the society we live in, there's not a lot to grab onto when, when that happens. There's not a lot of stability around, is there? Even, you know, when you, you, you sometimes you've, you've tried to rely on some friends or you've put a, a trust in people and then they go all floppy and fall over on you and, and make a mess and it gets worse. And I, I don't know about you, I, I, I guess that kind of thing happens for you as well. That some of you are actually in that place right now. Some of you have been in that place and some of you are sat here going, I have no idea why that hasn't happened like I expected. I have no idea. I've been waiting years and years for this to happen. Yeah, does that ring any bells with anybody? Like, because we've all got hopes, haven't we? But we've all got dreams. And here's the thing that you see, I've used this sentence before, but I want you to understand it because it fits in with what was being said this morning. The, the, the facts do not change the truth. But the truth will change the facts. And so we, we find ourselves in this situation where there are facts around us. You know, you get up in the morning and sometimes life is really starkly real right in front of you. And the, the, the facts sometimes, they, they, they look overwhelming. They look like they're all against you. And, but here's the thing, God hasn't moved. God's not changed what he wrote in his word, has he? He's not changed his promises, he's not changed his nature, he's not changed his character. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And, but despite that, it's very easy to look at the stuff and, and get focused on and get driven around in your life and, and, and almost uh, get to the point of acceptance that these are the facts, that's how it's going to be, that's how it always will be and nothing will change. But those facts do not change the truth that God has spoken. But the truth that God has spoken, when we believe it, can change the facts. You know, everything in our life, and you know, I want you to hear this, everything in your life is temporary and subject to change. Every single thing in your life is temporary and subject to change. And that means we are to look for the change with faith instead of in looking back without faith. 
And many of us, we look back and we look at all those disappointments and those failed opportunities. I know, I know this happens to you because it happens to me. And I'm, I'm, I can guarantee you, I'm not alone at this. But we look back at all those failed things, all those disappointments, all the stuff that didn't happen, the, 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 the stuff that came out of the blue and knocked you for six and all of it. And we go, I just don't know how to trust anymore. And to you and to me, God is saying, those facts do not change the truth. But my truth will change the facts. Now, here's, here's the thing. How does the gospel work? You know, we, we've looked over the last couple of weeks, haven't we? Um, how we've been given everything we need for life and godliness through the great and precious promises that God gave us. And we've also looked at that, that passage, haven't we? And I, and I might come back to it this morning about we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, Ephesians 1 verse 3. So we hear those verses, we hear, hear those things said, and we go, but my life's not measuring up. I know, because I've been taught and I'm a believer, and that's what it says in the Bible, that that's the way it works, but the facts I'm experiencing are different to that. And so we want to know how to... Uh, to access those promises, access those things that God has already said are ours. Because if we've been given everything we need for life and godliness, then no matter what the situation we face, according to God, the outcome is we overcome and we come out the other side stronger. That should be the outcome. That should be the outcome we're looking for. No, you, you can't take away situations. You, you can't take away, in, because we live in a fallen world, full of horrible, manipulative, fallen people, full of the enemy's activity on a sick and dying planet, and you cannot avoid the fact that that's the way it's going to be till we all get to go to heaven or Jesus comes back and sorts it all out. That's the reality of life. And no matter how much we, we, we are a believer, we are not exempted from that. The reality is, those are the facts. However, Jesus says... And, and, and Peter says it in, in his life, you've been given everything you need to deal with that. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so we, we get this disjoin between the reality of what we're experiencing right here, right now, this second. And what Jesus is saying and what Peter says and what Paul says about every spiritual blessing. And we go, how's it work? How, how's that going to add up for me? And here's what typically happens. And, and this is kind of what, what I wanted to really get to. What happens is this. We get ourselves in a situation that we are waiting for an answer. Or we are waiting for something to happen to change. And we get ourselves in this kind of passive sort of Christianity, which is just exactly where the enemy wants us. That idea that there's not a lot I can do about it, so I'll just wait. I'll just wait and I'll pray. And my praying amounts to pleading with God to take it away. Paul tried that. He tried that three times. God says, that's not how this works when you live in a fallen world with fallen people with an enemy around. But my grace is sufficient for you. So that, that person that's attacking you right now, you've got what you need. I want you to grow up and learn how to use it. But for us, we, we get in a situation where we, we kind of, we've wanted something for a long time. Now, listen to this carefully. I use the word, we've wanted something for a long time. That kind of might be the issue. I'm not saying it is the issue, so don't, don't get me wrong here. I'm not, I'm not going to... Uh, my intention here is not to say it's your fault, okay? You've got to hear that. But it might be that we made up our own mind what we want and then said, God, it's your job to make sure that happens in my life. Now, like I talked about last week, it's really easy for us to walk in our flesh, but we're called to walk in our spirit. See, the normal order of events for, for a believer is that we hear the voice of God 
as to what he wants us to do in any particular situation or, or, or the next step for us to take in our life or all those sort of things, we, we listen to the Holy Spirit and we get direct instruction. The other aspect of that is that we read the word and we know what's promised us. We know what should be ours. That's good. That's walking in the spirit. Here's what walking in the flesh looks like. God, my life is pretty poo at the moment. And I just fancy that, you know, I've heard this morning, Connie's going off to Hawaii for ages. I could just do with the Hawaii trip. And so, God, I'm asking you to send me some money so I can go to Hawaii. Who told you that? Can you see the difference? So then you start praying, God, I'm believing you, I'm believing you, I'm believing you, I'm believing you, I'm believing you for a miracle so I can go to Hawaii. God, you know, you've given me this desire in my heart, so I'm believing you, I'm believing you. Hawaii is God's own country. I'm believing you, I'm believing you, I'm believing you. And at the end of a few months, Connie's come back. She's told us how amazing Hawaii is. And you're sat there and you're going, it didn't happen for me. Can you see the difference? Unfortunately, a lot of us can kind of get in that situation. And sometimes in church, we can encourage, you know, the, the body of Christ sometimes encourages that mentality. You know, I think it was really important what um, Esther said about its seed, time and harvest. Where sometimes you can, you know, you can be manipulated to think it's seed time. Ka-ching! 100% return. Only if you brought the prayer cloth. No. But, guys, we've got to get realistic about these things. Because if we're going to have faith to work for us, it's got to work properly. And so, what that means is that I've got to be honest with myself. And examine my own heart about where those desires came from that I'm now disappointed about. So that's the first thing. I'm not saying everybody's in that situation. There are some of us who are working, waiting for things and, and have believed for things that we believe God has promised. And it's in his word. We can see it. And they're our right. Healing is our right. That's, that's, not a, that's not a question about whether you have to listen to the Holy Spirit or not. Is it, is it for you? It's your right. Jesus paid for it. Jesus paid for every single healing that will ever happen in history, and he paid for yours. So that's not a question that comes up. But some of us, you know, we can still get in this situation where we feel that we're disappointed with God. And here's the word, here's what I hear in that situation. Over and over again, I hear somebody explain to me their disappointment with God and then I hear this phrase, and here's the thing, it's a Bible phrase, it's scripture, and this is the words that they come out with, well I've been waiting so long, but now my heart is sick, because hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, and that's where I am. Here's what, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Because I have heard that so many times. And I realize that what it now tells me is that the enemy has done a work, of, work on you. And what's worse is he's given you a verse of scripture to attach it to. Because here's how it, here's how it, it comes across. I'm not saying uh, this is in every case, but... This is what I believe is going on. What's going on when somebody quotes that verse or says, hope defers made my heart grow sick, and, and my heart is so sick. And if you're in that situation, I really want you to know that you're deeply loved and you're going to come out of that situation. And if you're in it, I want to help you with it. But here's the thing. It wasn't God that told you to think like that. Even though that's scripture, it wasn't God that told you to think like that. It was the enemy and other people that you've heard use that phrase. And they've all talked like that, and you go, oh, I'm in that same place now. 
you know, Auntie Betty used to use that phrase and she used to say, hope deferred's made my heart grow sick. And look at her, she was sad and sick and she died early and it's going to happen to me. And, and we, we go through these thought processes and it has absolutely nothing to do with the word of God. It might be the fact right at that moment you might be feeling the symptoms of sickness, but it hasn't changed the truth of God's word. And you are not anti-Betty. You, you, you don't have to think like that. But many of us find ourselves thinking like that because we haven't seen what we want yet. And here's what's going on. I, I tried to believe you for that, God, and I haven't seen it yet. And now it's your fault that my heart is in this state. And now it's hopeless because you didn't answer quick enough. You didn't answer quick enough. Here's the thing. You can have a very genuine godly goal, but you can have put the wrong timescale on it. And when God didn't meet your timescale, you allowed the enemy and Auntie Betty and all your friends to do a job on you by telling you that God has made your heart sick by holding back. And that is a lie. That is not the truth. Do you know what the verse actually says? It's Proverbs 13, verse 12. It's a two-line verse. That's the first line. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life springing forth. The point is that, that Solomon, who wrote that verse, what he's saying is that when we postpone our hope, it makes our hearts sick. But when we see the answer and our desires come, it produces life. And Solomon is giving that verse. He's saying, this, this is what I want you to understand. This is even, this is Old Testament. This is before anything I'm going to talk about. I want you to understand that when I said hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, I'm trying to encourage you not to let your hope get deferred. It's not God who's made your hope get deferred. It's your, your mental uh, mindset that has deferred your own hope. We are the controllers of our hope. You've got to understand that. You're a controller of your own hope. It's not an external thing. The hope has become deferred because you've let it get deferred. And God is the one who says when desire comes, it's like a tree of life that's going to spring forth. And so what we want to do is we want to, we want to train our hearts to listen to the Holy Spirit, to know that what we're desiring is in line with God's word. And he's spoken to us specifically for us by the Spirit for this time. And then we want to know God's time scale on it, not ours. Because if we don't, what we'll do is a lot of us will end up wandering through life disappointed with God when actually we were believing for something that was harmful, destructive, not the right timing for us or whatever else. Now, just here again, I'm not talking about things that are as our rights as new covenant believers. What I'm talking about is the desires of our heart, the walking in God's destiny for our life and the plans that he has for us. And we've got to live that out in a situation where the enemy is going to keep throwing people at us and throwing curveballs at us. And in the current world, in the current social media climate and instant gratification and all the rest of it, those things get thrown all the time, very quickly from everywhere. There's, there's not just a size issue of the curveballs anymore, there's a volume issue. And, and God's saying, in that place, you cannot let your hope get deferred. Now, here's the second thing that I want to do to move you on from that verse. Because 
my experience is that is one of the most destructive, corrosive verses that I have heard people quote at me because they don't understand what it means. And they pin their disappointment in God on that verse. The net effect of doing that is everything gets worse, not better. Because without hope, you can't have faith. Now, I'm fine with this now because I'm making it up as I go along. Well, the Holy Spirit's hopefully making it up as he goes along. Yeah. So, here's the thing. You see, we can, I mean, well, if you've been around faith life for any length of time, you know that the covenant that we have is not the covenant that Old Testament Israel had. Do you know that? So, therefore, let me me just, this is an aside comment, because God was just speaking to me about this yesterday. Okay, this, this is the word of God. Yeah? Do we all agree on that? Do we all agree that this was inspired by the Holy Spirit? Every single jot, tittle, capital letter, comma, phrase, whatever, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yeah? That's what you're taught when somebody gives you your first Bible. Here you are. Here's the Bible. Here's the Word of God. Thank you. There you are. You've got Joyce Meyer Amplified Bible now. You won't get to keep it because it's Cheryl. She'll want it back. (laughs) So you're given this Bible and you go, right, I've got to hang on every word. But here's the thing. Nobody, when they give you that Bible, explains, yes, that's all God's word. Yes, it's all inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's all divine and all the rest of it. But it's not the same throughout. It's not equally applicable from beginning to end. You can read most of the Old Testament and never, ever encounter Jesus. Because the Pharisees managed that. Every word is divinely inspired, but that does not mean every word is now equally applicable to you. Because we have this side of the cross, a different covenant. And a lot of that is a covenant that was made with Israel, the nation. And never, ever applied to us. However, now I've taught you that. That verse in Proverbs doesn't get excluded by that. It's because it's wisdom. It's wisdom. So we can't dismiss it like that. But what I want you to understand is something changed as a result of Jesus. The hope that Solomon was encouraging people to have in the Old Testament was an external hope. Now our hope is internal. We carry hope. That's why the enemy wants you to believe this lie. That is really cool. I have never heard God say that before <laughs> until he just said it then. We are, we, we, the, the hope that we have is internal. Okay. I'm just waiting for him to prove that to me, okay? <laughs> Right, so Jesus comes up, so basically Israel was encouraged to put their hope in God, but they were not reborn, they were not born again people. And so therefore what they did is they hung on whether the king got it right or not. If the king was good, they were good. If the king wasn't, they weren't. They kind of worked as a nation. Just think Israel, flock of sheep, following king. King knows where he's going. It's okay if he doesn't. They're in trouble. And Jesus comes on the scene. So Jesus, who Israel has been expecting this Messiah to come. They've expected him to come to set up a kingdom, to be like a warrior king, to restore the glory days like they had under David and like big conquering guy like Joshua. And this is what they're expecting. And Jesus comes and he stands up in the temple. He gets the scrolls out. He says, 
Um, hey guys, new rabbi on the scene called Jesus. And uh, I'm going to read you something. I'm going to read you something from one of your prophets, which I've now lost, which wasn't very helpful, was it? Pardon? Yeah. Yeah. That's really annoying that I lost that. Uh, Hang on, I know where it is. It's in Luke. Luke chapter 4, it'll be. There's a good way way out guess for you. Luke chapter 4. It's okay, because God's talking to me. I might not be talking to you, but he's talking to me. So we're okay. Right, Luke chapter 4, verse 18 to 19. So Jesus walks in in front of all the, the religious people of the day, in front of all the ordinary people of the day, opens the scroll up, big scroll, he starts to read. I'm reading from the Amplified, okay? This is what Jesus is read, reading. They handed to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Great Jewish, Israeli prophet. Wrote big book in the Old Testament. You know, when you open the Old Testament, you, you will always, I guess, end up in Psalms or Isaiah because the big books, you know, that probability. For people who do maths, that's probability, It's not the Holy Spirit telling you that's the page. It's just probability that you'll always end up in one of those two books because they're the biggies. Okay, I'm just de-spiritualizing that one for you. And there was handed to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. He opened and unrolled the book and found the place. So Jesus had been really deliberate about what he's going to talk about. They've given him Isaiah. They think, hey, he's going to tell us about you know, how amazing Israel's going to be in the future. And Jesus opens it, this passage, and they're going, whoa, didn't expect that one. That was not what we intended. But he chooses the passage. He found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news, the gospel to the poor, giving hope to the poor. He sent me to announce release of the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to send forth as delivered those who were oppressed, who were downtrodden, who were bruised, who were crushed, who were broken down by calamity, to proclaim the accepted and acceptable year of the Lord, the day when salvation and the favour of God profusely abounds. How cool is that? Jesus comes on the scene and suddenly everything changes because Favour abounds. There's hope for the captive. There's hope for the poor. There's hope for the downtrodden. There's hope for those who are broken. There's hope for those who are hurting. There's hope for those who are sick. There's hope for those who are blind. There's hope for everyone. Why? Because Jesus is on the scene. God's been planning this for centuries and suddenly he's there. And he stood right in front of them and he says, now the kingdom of Hiram is at hand. Now, the kingdom of heaven is hand. Jesus comes on the scene, everything changes. And what makes the difference? The anointing on Jesus. The anointing on Jesus. Now, I want you to understand that when he came, hope came. Hope came to earth. Previously, people tried to put their hope in something that was out there. And now their hope was stood there right in front of them. And so they flocked to him because now he stood there right in front of them. And he's saying, I'm the one. I've come to bring you hope. I'm the one who's on the side of the poor. I'm the one who's on the side of the oppressed. I know, I understand your broken heart. I understand the pain you're going through. And I'm the one that carries something to do something about it. Because I'm anointed. The Spirit is upon me. The Spirit is upon me. The thing that makes the difference is the Spirit that is upon him. Here's the point. The facts just got changed by the truth. 
This was prophesied and now it's here. The facts just got changed by the truth. Jesus stepped on the scene. The spirit is upon him and now there's hope. And because of that, there's now hope for you. Every single person in this room is never without hope. But it's better than that. You've got to understand it's better than that. Go with me to Romans 5, 5. And I've got that on my slides somewhere. It's on my slides. I'm getting excited. I've got that one. Romans 5, 5. Um, Amplified version. Now, hope does not disappoint. What did it do before Jesus came on the scene? Hope deferred made the heart grow sick. Now, hope does not disappoint. Why? Because we're equipped to do something with what the Holy Spirit has given us. Now, hope does not disappoint. So tell me this. Just speak this out right now. My hope will no longer disappoint. My heart is no longer going to get sick. Because Jesus came on the scene. So I don't want to hear, hope deferred has made my heart grow sick again. Just You can have a moan, that's what pastors are for, but I don't want to hear it again, okay? Because it, Jesus is on the scene. When somebody says, hope deferred made the heart grow sick, they're saying the enemy's done a job on me. Not God's let me down, but the enemy's done a job on me. That's what you're communicating. I'm not saying you're not feeling that inside. I'm sure you are, and it's a horrible place to be in. But it's not God. And it's subject to change. Because now hope does not disappoint. Because, why? The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now get this, Jesus said, the spirit is upon me and he's anointed me to bring the gospel and therefore there's hope. Now, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit has come upon you and in you to do what? To bring hope. Where is hope? In you. If you were looking for hope out there or hope in the circumstances or hope in what's going on or hoping somebody's going to change their terrible, awful behaviour or somebody's going to stop lying to you, your hope is in the wrong place because hope is in here because that is where the Spirit dwells. And it's the same Spirit that Christ had. So, what, what, what this is saying to me is stop pinning hope on stuff that's out there. That shakes, that falls, that trembles, that moves, that changes, that lies, that schemes, that manipulates. And start putting hope on what is in there. Not listening to the lies of the devil, but said, I have hope because Christ came and that anointing broke every yoke, broke every bondage. And he's here to give me hope. If I'm poor, he's here to give me hope. If I'm sick, I've got hope. If I'm oppressed, I've got hope. If I'm brokenhearted, I've got hope. If life's gone against me, I've got hope and it's going to turn around. If people have pooed on me from great heights, it's going to change because I've got hope and it'll turn around. He's a manure me mover. <laughs> Don't know where that came from. Must have been the Holy Spirit. Are you still with me? When you hope for something, you will not be disappointed because it's in you. <coughs> Let me just prove that to you with a few verses. Um, Romans 15. Romans 15. Let me have a look. Romans 15 verse 13 says this, and well, I can quote it for you. Now may the hope, the, sorry, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That 
so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I haven't found it yet, but that's what it says. Romans 15, 13. I'm getting there. That will be a new King James if that's what you're looking for. Romans 15, 13. Let's see if it... Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where does hope come from? From the Holy Spirit. Where's the Holy Spirit? Yeah, alive in you because that's what you learned last week, isn't it? The Holy Spirit is alive in you. So where's hope? Inside. So where does hope come from? Inside. The power of the Holy Spirit inside. Here's the thing. If you've got the power of the Holy Spirit inside, you have all you need for life and godliness. Where is it? It's inside. Inside, you're an overcomer. Inside, you're a conqueror. Inside, you're a giant. Inside, you have victory. Inside, whatever life throws at you, you can go out through it and come out stronger. Inside, whatever has happened in your past is the past. And your future is not dictated by it. Why? Because you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives you hope. And he shed that abroad in your hearts. He's poured it out into your hearts. He's poured out into your hearts how much God loves you. He poured out into your hearts how much he wants to father you. He's poured out into your hearts how much he's on, side, on your side. He's poured out into your hearts how much he's your provider. He's your carer. He's the one who's, who's, who's looking out for you all the time. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And the Holy Spirit's inside and he's stirring that up all the time, all the time, all the time. And you've been going around listening to Auntie Betty going, hope you first make my heart broken. And the Holy Spirit's going, no, God is there. He cares. He's with you. He's looking after you. Quit the time scale. This is going to be okay. Quit how you want it to turn out and see that God's going to get it to turn out better than you planned. To, to work in you, you've got to get past that stuff that you've listened to. <sighs> I like this one. Ephesians 1.18. I like this verse. We sing it a lot. We, in uh, kind of, is a song we've sang for years, isn't it? Um, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Then um, Ephesians 1.13 is Paul praying for the church in Ephesus. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're the Apostle Paul, so just imagine for the moment you're the Apostle Paul. Are you a good Christian? Okay, let me put it that way. Are you a good Apostle? Yeah. So if... If you're the Apostle Paul and you're the one writing the book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he tells you to write down a prayer that you're praying for the church in Ephesus, do you think Paul expected this prayer to be answered? Yes. He wouldn't, write, he wouldn't pray something he didn't expect to be answered. And what's he praying? He's praying that the Holy Spirit will do a work in the believers in Ephesus, in their hearts. He's, say, he's praying for them the same things as I'm talking to you about this morning and he's been talking to us about right through this service. And this is what he says, Ephesians uh, 1, 18. He's praying, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So open your eyes so that you can see. That you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality, powers, etc. What's he saying? He's saying, I am praying... For you guys 
that you will have your understanding opened up to the point that you can see what power is in you. And what are the riches of the inheritance Christ has given you? Because when you see it, you can take it. Until you see it, you can't take it. And here's uh, why I think that verse that I quote is such a poisonous verse. It stops you seeing it. Stops you seeing hope deferred, makes heart grow sick. Stops you seeing what is your inheritance. It stops you seeing the desire that comes and is a tree of life. Are you still with me? So how do you get hold of this? What do you need to do to have these things? Believe. Believe. Here's what it says, um, again, quote from Romans, and I did whole preaches on this a couple of years, years 18 months ago. But it's this verse. Uh, Through whom we also have access by faith into the grace in which we stand in hope of the glory of God. We have access by faith to what? Grace. What is grace? God's unmerited favour. Grace is everything that Christ paid for at the cross. Christ is what he spent his life to buy for you. And as long as we stand in grace, knowing there is nothing we can do to earn it, nothing we can do to merit it, but we can't stay standing in grace thinking, you know, not getting it, it's all, you know, it's all based on what I can do. It's not, it's based on what Christ can do. And when we're in that place, we realise that Christ has paid for all we need and therefore we've got hope of the glory of God in our lives. That's what that's saying, isn't it? So here's the thing. Again, I preached on this at Lent last year. Colossians 1.27, I think it is. Um, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Christ in you. The enemy cannot get at what Christ paid for. He cannot touch it. He cannot mess it up. He can't spoil it and he can't steal it. So what does he do? He tries to get your eyes off God and the anointing within you and onto the facts. If he can do that, he can steal your hope. And if he can steal your hope, eventually he'll steal your faith. Because he can't steal grace. Grace was done and paid for 2,000 years ago. And it's not changing. It's not moving. It's not going to be affected. You didn't pay for it. You didn't earn it. You did nothing to, to merit it or whatever. And it's now hidden in Christ in heavenly places. And nobody's getting hold of it. You weren't there 2,000 years ago. You can't mess grace up. The enemy had his chance 2,000 years ago and actually participated in the release of grace because he was an idiot. Because he didn't understand what was going on. He missed his chance and now there's nothing he can do about it. He cannot steal the provision, the riches, the inheritance, the, the, the life that Christ came to, came to give you. And he's a liar and a thief who comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus is here and he's living in you and he's saying, I've come to give you life and life in all its abundance and that's where your hope is. That's what you need to be looking at. Anything else, it's not me. Anything else, it's not God. Because Christ in you is the hope of glory. In the grace in which we stand, we have hope of, for the glory of God. So you attach your hope.
here's the mind-bending thing. Because it's mind-bending, I'm thinking about it. You know when Israel goes to Sinai, the mountain, and there's thunders, lightnings, clouds, God's there on the scene, and they're all terrified. Yeah? If God turned up right now, like that here, and he said, I'm on your side, what do you want? Would you think you were going to get it? Yeah, you would. Here's another question for you. Let's take away all the thunder, lightnings and whatever. Let's have little Jesus, gentle, meek and mild, who wasn't at all, standing right in front of you. And he says, what can I do for you? What is it that you need? Because I've got it all. Would you believe you were going to get it? Then you also need to believe you're going to get it when Jesus is alive right inside of you here right now. <laughs> because he's no longer stood in front of you, he's alive in you. And he's struggling to get out. And he wants out. And he wants his church back and he wants his people back and he wants hope back. And he wants, he wants, he wants the kingdom back. And for too long we've contained him in here. We, we, we've locked him up. And we've looked at everything that was going around us because we wanted to control how this whole thing works. We wanted it to turn out for what we wanted. And God's saying, I want my church back. I want you to realize that I'm alive in you and I want out. And the first step to me getting out is to realize your hope is not in you. It's not in other people. It's not in politicians. It's not in everything that's shaking around you. It's not in... In this person that let you down or this person who screwed up your life 10 years ago, it's not in any of those. It's not in that person that's still trying to mess up your life. It's in me. And I will never leave you or forsake you because I cannot, because I am in you. I can't get out. I'm in you. I'm here to stay. And that is what has changed. Like when Jesus came and he said, Right now, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to do these things, to, to bring hope, to bring life, to bring freedom, to break bonds. Right now, he's saying, the Spirit of the Lord, I am here and I am going to break bonds. I am going to set people free. I am going to give you hope. I'm going to turn your poverty to, to provision because I'm the provider. I'm the healer. And whatever it is, you are more than a conqueror because I am more than a conqueror because I live in you and I am not leaving you. Let's stand. See, when God poured himself into you, El Shaddai came on the scene. Have you heard that word, El Shaddai? It's a word that's used for God, uh, God the Father in the, the Old Testament. Now, here's what it means. El Shaddai, the one who lives in you, who's now on the scene, means the breasty one. Okay, that's, that's weird. What's he doing now? El Shaddai literally means the breasty one, which means... There is nothing that you need that I do not have provision for. That's what El Shaddai means. God calls himself. I'm the one who's got provision for everything in my breast. And I live in you. I'm on the scene. So therefore, you have all you need for life and godliness. So get your eyes off the facts and onto the truth. Because the facts don't change the truth, but the truth will change the facts if you believe it. Amen. So, Father, I want to pray for everybody here. God, I pray that the eyes of our understanding will be opened. Just like Paul prayed, Lord, I'm going to pray the same thing. Lord, I'm praying that we will see and that we will understand.
I'm praying that we'll know. I'm praying that we'll know that these things are true about us. Because this is the truth, unmoved by the facts. I'm praying, Lord, that we will know what is the hope that dwells within us. And we'll take hold of that. I'm praying that we will know the riches of the glory of our inheritance that you've given us. That Christ paid for and Christ made available for us. And I'm also praying, Lord, that at this time when you are, you are, you start, you are urging us to be your people outside the walls of the church, that we would know your power. We would know the exceeding greatness of your power towards us, which is working in us in might, that is just the same as the resurrection power that raised Christ and everybody else who will ever believe in him from the dead to new life. I am praying we will know that power, Lord. Because your word says that is fact. Because you are in us. I'm praying you'll give us a revelation of that, Lord. That we are walking receptacles, containers of you. And that you want out and you want your church back. Thank you, Lord. Praise you. Lord, for me, I'm believing that and I'm receiving that. I'm believing it, I'm receiving it. Can we just declare that? I believe it, I receive it. I believe it, I receive it. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Okay, there's some big things there that God's been speaking to us. Um. For me, I need to go in, meditate on it all, because some of it was kind of the moment, the, the, the download. So we need to hear those things. You see, sometimes when we hear things like this, it can seem so far removed from where we are, we don't know what to do with it. But here's how it works. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. John tells us that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He says you don't you, you, you don't need uh, sort of to go to university for fifty years to understand this stuff. He says the Holy Spirit will reveal it to your heart, and it's your heart that's where you where you believe from. So I'm asking you to like go away from here, and this week I'm asking you to ponder these things: where your hope comes from, and that it's from Christ in you. Amen. Amen. Amen.